welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 111. That's right, the good old 111. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, before we get into today's episode, we just want to remind you as always that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please feel free to tell your family and friends about them, take a screenshot and post it to your social media stories. Tag Jack, tag myself, and tag the bodybuilding dietitians. Now, without further ado, getting into this Q&A today. So Jack, we've got a cracker of a question for this number one. So this one says, what are the best and the worst aspects of bodybuilding? Cool. So do you want to apply this to ourselves specifically or to everyone? I think everyone. I think just have a discussion about it. Okay. But I think because this is our sport and we are very passionate about it, and of course we love it, I think we should start off on a positive note and talk about the best aspects of bodybuilding. So what comes to mind? Cool. So I think with this, not all the positives are going to relate to everyone, not all the negatives are going to relate to everyone. So I think it's important to acknowledge that. But with that out of the way, what I personally find the most rewarding, probably two things for bodybuilding, so the benefits or the positives, and that would be just the daily rewards. So the box ticking. And for someone who is very regimented, someone who's always been fairly obsessive, it, uh, it's really satisfying for me to tick those boxes and to have something that I can work towards every day. And I think it's important for everyone to have, have that in their lives, whether they are invested in their health or whether they bodybuild or whether they're a doctor or they're a pharmacist or an ecologist, an engineer, it's, they should have something that they can enjoy and, and tick off and work towards every single day because that's what makes life enjoyable, in my opinion. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Waking up with purpose and waking up looking forward to something, waking up and looking forward to being able to accomplish things that day and feel productive and always feel like you are working towards something. Mm. And definitely as high achievers ourselves, I feel like bodybuilding provides us with the perfect avenue for that because no matter what, we are granted with an opportunity every single day to better ourselves in some way, whether that be mentally or physically or emotionally there's always something that you can get out of every single day when you are a bodybuilder yeah whether it be hitting a new pv in the gym or getting that session in in general or hitting your macros to the t (laughs) ensuring that you hit your nutrient targets all that kind of stuff so it's uh it is very satisfying yeah and i think another great thing about bodybuilding is that it just ingrains you with such healthy lifestyle habits having a good routine, investing more time into learning about health and nutrition so that you really can nourish yourself and you can move your body on a regular basis and get enough sleep at night, not drink too much alcohol, all of these things. And they really do compound to influencing your quality of life later down the track. Mm. We're always lifting weights. We're always doing these compound movements. We are building more muscle mass and we're putting more, obviously, pressure on our bones to retain our bone mineral density so later down the track in life when we're going to be more prone to things like sacropenia which is the natural degeneration of soccer 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 oh sorry Uh, that's my canadian accent (laughs) versus the australian over here sacropenia (laughs) the natural degeneration of muscle mass plus things like osteopenia and osteoporosis which is 
the degeneration of bone mineral density, because we're always doing these types of exercises, we're going to have a better quality of life later down the track. And we can be in our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Hell, I'm living past 100. You heard it here first. And I'm still going to be deadlifting, man. Well, I think by 100, hopefully Elon Musk will have devised his brain chip where we can transmit consciousness into new bodies i'm counting on that yeah well that'd be pretty cool but still on my 100th birthday i am going to do an rdl (laughs) yeah but i guess that's on the same note to play devil's advocate and i'm sure as soon as you said healthy some people would have raised one or both eyebrows because we know that bodybuilding might not be the healthiest psychologically but i would even argue that bodybuilding and yes i'm saying this like a bodybuilding coach that it's not necessarily the healthiest physically either Mm -hmm. so there definitely are some healthy positives Mm -hmm. as you said like if you are eating i wouldn't say eating well is goes hand in hand with bodybuilding because there's a lot of people who eat like crap and they're bodybuilders but it definitely encourages people to be more aware of their nutrition and it undoubtedly of course the component of exercise is is healthy like there's no doubt about that okay i guess obviously it just provides you with an opportunity to an opportunity en- is good to engage yeah. in healthy lifestyle habits but obviously there's always going to be a huge spectrum of individuals that engage in any type of mm. sport under this sun and hell each to their own what they decide to put into their mouths yeah can't <laughs> argue with that but i guess the other benefits of bodybuilding for us is it satisfies that competitive nature, which we both definitely have. And I would probably go a bit mad if I didn't have that. Yeah. Growing up as a child athlete, like it would be so hard to not pursue that as an adult and mm. essentially just throughout your life. Yeah. I would, I wouldn't even know. I'll probably still play some sort of team sport or something where I could compete against other people. And I'm glad that that's an aspect of bodybuilding, Mm -hmm. but it's also the camaraderie and team nature of bodybuilding as well, which is so great. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, why did you choose bodybuilding over a team sport? Because obviously bodybuilding is a little bit more, I don't want to use the word isolating per se, but it Mm. is more of an individual type sport rather than depending on other people. I think it's that, like I'm a bit of an introvert. So it's the best of both worlds like I can associate with people when I want to and I can also just knuckle down and go to the gym by myself do my own thing which is to be honest probably what like I'm not relying on anyone else to achieve my goals in a Mm. team sport what's that saying about teams where it's not I it's we or something (laughs) there's no I in team (laughs) yeah exactly but there is an I in win (laughs) what what's that movie from uh it's from kicking and screaming with Will Ferrell I think Mm-hmm. There is an I and win. And then all the parents go, aha, he's, he's, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> Pass him the ball. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of my mindset for bodybuilding. Yeah. I'm pretty much along the same lines. Again, growing up as a child athlete, I engaged in all types of sports, both individual. Child athlete, you make it sound like you're some sort of Olympic gold medicist. Well, no, prodigy. but I did compete at like a national level in both Canada and Australia for, for swimming and, you know, high up there in things like running and athletics, which are more individual. And mm. I feel like I was really drawn to those more individual sports because ultimately, whether it's through sporting or academics, I've always wanted my successes and my failures to be solely up to me. I love taking responsibility for both because I think it really helps better me as a person. Like, no doubt I'm willing to ask for help and you are by far the 
best partner to ever do a group assignment with. Don't know about the other chicks, but anyway. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, guys. or the other dudes, but ultimately I've always liked my successes and my failures to be my responsibility and taking onus for those. But at the same time, when I engaged in other sports, which were more team sports, sometimes it was frustrating when you're like, you're giving your all and you're showing up for practice and you're putting in a hundred percent, but other people are slacking off. Mm. And then obviously you're only as strong as your weakest link. Yeah. I think the final thing that I would mention as well is, is there anything else? Of course there is, but like bodybuilding is, it's literally every single day you have to put in a hundred percent. And if you don't, then like you're not going to maximize any. And I guess you could make that argument for other things, but like for soccer or any other team sport, game day is what counts. But for bodybuilding, you, every single workout needs to be a success for yeah. you to maximize it. Exactly. And you're not like kicking a ball in soccer. You're not going to, if you have a poor training session, it's not going to really affect things. Mm-hmm. But if you have a lot of poor training sessions for bodybuilding, yeah, not quite as good. And the other aspect is that nutrition directs or links so directly with bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Like, are you gaining weight? Are you losing weight? Are you fueling your performance in the gym? All that kind of stuff. Protein distribution. Exactly. It's absolutely fascinating. That's what I love about it because I feel like we are able to directly apply all of the wonderful things we learned through nutrition science and sports nutrition studies directly to our own pursuits through bodybuilding, but also our careers, of course, as coaches, which is just so freaking fascinating. Plus, things are changing all the time. So I think that's absolutely right. And along the lines of what you said about soccer players or team sport players, about how, you know, ultimately it is game day that matters the most, and you can have maybe a hit or miss session here or there. Again, I feel like every sport is so competitive, but I feel like bodybuilding is so gosh darn competitive. And really a lot of the work happens behind the scenes. Mm. A lot of the work happens in the improvement season when people are really willing to knuckle down and just do those one percenters. And they're the people who end up at the top. And that's what really pushes me and what drives me because it's an old man's sport. And also it's all always about delayed gratification, but you have to invest into that. You have to be like, okay, I'm not going to be my best tomorrow or next week or next month or next, next year. But in three years, I'm going to be my best yet. Yeah. And if you love committing to long-term goals, and I think certainly this is the sport for you. Absolutely. Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular content on our Instagram and YouTube channel. You can find those platforms by searching the bodybuilding dietitians. See you there. Plus, like, it's not like you join a soccer club or whatever and you have a game on the weekend. You literally Mm. have to, for bodybuilding, do a 25, or some people don't do that many, but a 25-week prep approximately just Mm. to compete. So, like, there's such a huge undertaking in order to actually make it to the competitive level, but. But at the same time, if you are a very visual person and you do visualize your goals and you like to plan things out, it's really fun making a long-term plan. Mm. And again, it's not just a day's plan or a week's plan. You can plan out across months and years, which is so freaking cool. And I just, I personally get a hell of a lot out of that. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm just so drawn to the fact that it, it does come down to you in the end. No one is going to do the work for you. And Mm. at the same time, that's kind of nice because you don't have to depend on anyone else for the work to get done. Yeah. 
I find it kind of funny how we haven't mentioned you get a sick physique out of it. Oh, yeah. Man, what are we even doing this sport for? Obviously, yeah, the aesthetic side of things. They're pretty nice. They don't always feel the best, but yeah, they look pretty good. (laughs) And obviously, I think one of the most exciting things about bodybuilding would certainly be show day. Show day is so celebratory. And I've said this before, but compared to any other sport on game day, Like for example, if you're a runner on race day, you still have to run a freaking race, okay? You've got to either sprint 400 meters around a track, build up that lactic acid, pretty much feel like you're dying, or same could go if you're running a 10K or a half marathon or a full marathon. Hell, you still have to just absolutely exert yourself. But for bodybuilding, like we said, the hard work is always done before show day, but on show day, it's so celebratory. You get to eat more food and carb up and you get to get tan and glam. And if you're a girl, put on a beautiful bikini, or if you're a guy, put on some beautiful trunks, but essentially you just get to go up on stage and smile and showcase your hard work. And to me, that's so fun. That's so celebratory. That's ultimately stress-free. Your heart rate's not up too high. Obviously you might be a little bit nervous, but nothing compared to a 400 meter race. Oh yeah. I dreaded those. (laughs) Oh, the 400 meters, man. The only thing that trumps the 400 meters is the 400 meter hurdles. What about 400 meter swim? No, 400 meter swims aren't that bad. Like a 400 meter IM, not that bad. Hmm. Anyway, this is coming from a swimmer and a runner. Yeah, I've done both. Trust me, okay? But yeah, obviously show day is certainly something to look forward to. And show day is obviously just so fun because the atmosphere, you're back there with your people. And that's a huge part of actually being a bodybuilder and being part of this niche is actually being able to interact with people who share your same lifestyle and share your same passions and your love for this sport. And it's really exciting to actually be surrounded by people like that, because obviously if you just go out to the mall or you walk out on the street, like what are the chances of meeting another bodybuilder? But obviously you show up at a show and man, they're everywhere. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. But uh, what about the the low sides of bodybuilding? Oh boy. Okay, so we're getting into now the worst aspects of bodybuilding. What comes to mind? It's going to definitely relate more to the disordered eating side of things, the psychological, the potential negative health consequences for natural and enhanced competitors as well. So I think, to be honest, when people think, most people kind of know what they are really like. You're going to be very food focused during a comp prep. You're going to be dieting to extreme levels of body fat. You're, as a natural competitor, your hormones might go a bit whack. Your testosterone will drop, might impair your relationship with others, unfortunately. Competing is expensive. There's, there's a lot of negatives, but there's also a lot of positives too. Mm-hmm. I feel like you almost just plugged one of our most recent Instagram <laughs> posts. We actually just did a post on reasons why you should not mm. compete. So highly recommend going over to the bodybuilding dietitians Instagram page and reading that post. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely very realists when it comes to bodybuilding. We completely agree that it's a wonderful sport for us, but it also isn't great for some people. Mm-hmm. And that's why people always say over and over again, And it might sound like a broken record, but when you are a competitor and you are truly comp lean, I feel like every, at some point or another, someone's always going to make a post and be like, my look is not sustainable. Mm. Be like, 
we really need to get the message across is that a lot of people aspire to look like bodybuilders because they see these lean, shredded, tanned people smiling and they're like, that looks amazing, right? Like, I want to look like that. You might want to look like that, but I don't think you're mentally ready to endure feeling like that because being truly lean, it hurts. It hurts not not just physically, okay, but it really, really hurts mentally. And it doesn't just hurt for a day or a week, okay? There are so many symptoms of just having low energy availability and getting truly comp lean that really just, again, compound and they creep up on you. And it's really freaking tough to deal with. Mm. It is. like it, it kind of feels weird saying it like that because... You ask yourself, why are you doing it? Yeah. And why the hell am I putting myself through this? This feels like absolute utter crap. <laughs> yeah. That would definitely be the worst for me. Just personally, I don't really have any... I think some people would speak for me and try and say that uh, there are some negatives associated with bodybuilding. Like, for example, the, the constantly tracking or the food focus potentially. But... Just because you might perceive those as, as negatives or potentially have some negative consequences as a result of bodybuilding doesn't mean it applies to someone else. Mm-hmm. And I know, for example, some people in my family are like, oh, Jack, you have to take all these supplements. You have to train all the time and you have to eat all the time. But I, I love that and I enjoy it. Yeah. So it's uh, you can't. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is you can't apply everything something to everyone. Yeah, it goes both ways. I feel like other people are always giving bodybuilders a really tough time over what they do, but it doesn't go the other way. So for example, like let's say that someone was working in a hospital, right? You're not like, oh man, you've got to drive to the hospital every day and walk around the wards and talk to different patients and you risk your chance of getting sick every single day. Like why do you put yourself through that? Like Mm. you don't say that to other people. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, someone will happily say tracking food isn't healthy or you're ruining your hormones or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, but ultimately I think just the unfortunate negative consequences of getting truly comp lean and having low energy availability, they are really tough. And I feel like they're not spoken about enough, honestly, Mm. just like really people can experience underlying anxiety. You can feel very anxious at times and your heart rate can be really high. You can feel like your mind is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. I'm not going to say that you can become depressed, but certainly with the hormonal fluctuations, there's just points during prep or during the day where you just feel so unnecessarily sad. It just hits you. And all you want to do is just burst out in tears and cry over nothing at all. You can even tell yourself and you know, you're like, my life is so goddamn good right now. The sun's out, I'm doing a good workout. It might even be a high carb day, but all I wanna do is just burst out in tears. So those things are really, really hard to overcome. Incredibly tough, but again, you ask yourself, why am I doing this? And that's why it's really important to understand your why and truly understand that you are working towards something that is temporary, but to ultimately get up on that stage. And it is really freaking tough. So that's Mm. why it's important that people have a really thorough conversation with you and like give you a heads up like, hey, do you really know what you're in for? Yeah. And again, I think we could still apply the same thing to other sports. For example, advanced level athletes, they increase their risk of getting sick. They increase Mm -hmm. their risk of overtraining syndrome and 
the obsessive nature of being an athlete. You don't mm -hmm. earn. The reality is that most professional athletes, you see the big people on TV, but most professional athletes who go to the Olympics, they don't earn much money. Mm -hmm. they, let it, they They're fairly... They have to have a side job and they might have to, if they're not working, they're training. They might isolate themselves as a result of that. So it, it, the same can be applied to many other sports. Yeah. I think the thing that separates bodybuilding is truly just the nutritional aspect and the dieting aspect, because mm. obviously a lot of other sports are performance based and you can fuel your performance, but ultimately because bodybuilding is a sport of aesthetics and you do have to go through these prolonged, very strategic, usually very aggressive dieting periods, it can be really tough compared mm. to a soccer player who, gosh, how many studies did we read in uni where <laughs> soccer players are just under fueling? I'm yeah. like, God damn, man, you need more than four grams per kilogram of body weight of carbs per day. Even I'm eating more than that. Like, what's your excuse? You're running six hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> Drink a Gatorade, all right? <laughs> but we definitely do see it in the more aesthetic sports like mm. gymnastics mm. and diving and synchronized swimming and stuff. There mm -hmm. is an element of of the same psychological tendencies. I guess jockeys, you know, they've got to be light up on their horse. So you see them, they've got to go through a diet, but I would argue nothing quite like a bodybuilder, mm. especially because they're not trying to retain as much lean mass <laughs> as possible for six months straight. People always think of bodybuilding and they're like, oh, the worst part must be hunger. It's like, no, the worst part is not feeling hungry. You do not need to be a bodybuilder to feel hungry. It is ingrained in human evolution to get hungry at different periods throughout the day. You can be overweight and hungry. You can be a healthy weight and hungry. And hell yeah, you can be a bodybuilder six months into prep and feel hungry. But that's not the worst part of bodybuilding. That's just a given. I think it's just that underlying low energy availability. And it impacts your sleep like goddamn hypoglycemia. Hypoglycemia is awful. Pushing through a really tough workout and doing Bulgarians when you feel like you've got low blood sugar levels, but you're like, I've got a carb limit for the day. That's freaking tough, man. Mm, that was me this morning. <laughs> I had a tough workout. Oh man. And again, it's a high carb day for you. Yeah. And I think the last thing, Jack, we should probably touch on, which is huge in this sport because of course it's surrounded by how we look but ultimately body dysmorphia mm. hey guys just a reminder that we don't just coach physique athletes but we do coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal therefore if you are interested in getting in touch with us regarding our coaching services you can always head over to our website at www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com or alternatively click the link in the show notes below I guess I would argue that body dysmorphia is quite rampant outside of bodybuilding as well. Mm -hmm. And undoubtedly it is higher in bodybuilding. I, without knowing the statistics, I would, I would say that quite comfortably. But I think it's also helped some people. It's mm -hmm. certainly helped me. I had body dysmorphia prior to investing into bodybuilding 100%. And now I'm, I'm even in the off season, I'm very happy with how I look. Sure, we go through... I would say I look... I get more body dysmorphia from a competitive nature, not really from, I don't like the way I look. I might be, I might compare my physique to someone else on a competitive level and say, oh, he has bigger hammies or he has a bigger tricep than me, but definitely not on the level of, oh, I don't like how I look today or I feel like crap in my own body mm -hmm. like that's, but that's just me. 
I'm sure there's many other people who do. They have bigorexia, of course, as well, which is like never being satisfied with how big you are, so on and so forth. Yeah, man. I, I love that you made that point that obviously body dysmorphia is apparent just in human society because everyone generally does put quite a large emphasis on how they look. But of course, in our sport, when we are literally being judged by a panel on how we look, it can get tough. Mm. And Obviously, people always talk about how in prep, you do have your prep goggles and sometimes your vision can get very prep blindfold or something. Oh yeah. Your vision just gets so skewed. And I'm going to be honest, like I'm definitely very susceptible to it. And it's interesting. I feel almost as if the leaner you get, you convince yourself the more body fat that you have. (laughs) Like at the start of prep, you could be like 20 weeks out and you could ask your boyfriend like, hey, like, can you take a photo of my core? I think I can see an ab. But you could be like two weeks out. You have like a shredded six pack. You're like, no, I don't want anyone taking photos of me today. Mm. So that's, uh, yeah, that definitely happens sometimes in prep where like you kind of have to force yourself to, stop looking at the photo, come back later. And then you literally do come back later and you're like, wow, how did I think I looked bad before? (laughs) Exactly. Man, how many times has that happened to us? For example, you'll be doing lateral raises at the gym and then you'll ask your boyfriend like, hey, can you take a photo of me? I think my delts look really pumped. He'll take a hundred photos of you and then you'll be like, oh, I don't like any of them. Like, can you take it from a different angle? He'll take another hundred and then you won't pick any. But then you'll sit on them for a few days, come back and be like, actually man that ain't too bad or not even a few days you'll come back in your improvement season you're you'll be like you know when you actually have some body fat on you and you'll be like i was out of my freaking mind i was a shredded beast look at my delts and then you'll be like why didn't i post that now i have to post a freaking throwback Mm. (laughs) so yeah body dysmorphia is huge but sometimes you literally just need to stop looking at yourself to be like, nope, I'm just not going to take a photo today. I'm just not going to look at my reflection. I'm just going to follow the plan and do what I need to do. Especially when you're getting like into the real depths of prep and you're manipulating carbohydrates. Cause obviously you can be very flat some days and you can be very full some days. And if you know, like it's your fifth day of the week where you've been on low carbs and you know that like, it's just not your best look, don't force yourself or someone else to take a photo of you just out of curiosity if you have anecdotal evidence that it doesn't make you feel very good. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Yeah. And I think for some of our listeners who listen to this podcast who aren't invested in bodybuilding, some of these topics might be a bit confronting. Mm. And that's why we decided to list the negatives and the positives because yeah. on social media, we do often see the positives, but not the negatives. And just accept we've even had some negative reviews recently about people mentioning orthorexia and obsessiveness and mm-hmm. and the unhealthy lifestyle that is bodybuilding but just um be aware and accept that that's the route that we've taken yeah it's a route that millions of other people have taken as well and it's something that we love and enjoy so yeah worry about yourself yeah (laughs) guys like this is a bodybuilding podcast please don't go onto a bodybuilding dietitian's podcast and point the finger and call them orthorexic especially when jack and i have admitted multiple times on this podcast that yeah probably according to definitions maybe we have a few orthorexic tendencies Mm. but i would definitely not say that you and i are 
orthorexic. Yeah. But yeah, again, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Yeah. Be a nice person. Okay. I don't think we've ever had to say that. No, so <laughs> man. But uh, obviously, there's nice people in this world, and there's some people who take time out of their day to leave nasty reviews <laughs> that we wake up to, and we're like, "Why would they say that? That's not very nice." Mm. Anyway, guys, hopefully you enjoyed that discussion. Wow, that question went on for almost half an hour. But Jack, I have a question for you. So this one says, "What are some tips for adjusting mindset to work through movements you dislike?" Great. So this, I think, can take two sides. And one of the first things I think of is like, how dedicated is that person? Are they someone who is working towards a very specific goal and are willing to do basically whatever it takes to achieve it versus someone who is, let's say, just recreationally active? And if someone was the former, so they were, let's say, a, someone who, a client who came to me who wants to do bodybuilding and they said, yeah, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to earn a pro card. If they came to me and they're doing an exercise that works really well for them and they get great results from it, there's, there's very little to no risk of injury. And I guess the deciding factor is that they might not be as enjoying it as much. Like I wouldn't rate enjoyment as high. Of course, it's still very important, but I wouldn't rate it as high compared to someone who is staying recreationally active. Mm -hmm. Like if someone is doing running to try and stay fit and they keep saying, oh, I just hate running. I really don't look forward to it. Why the hell are you doing running? Yeah, like, man. Have, have you tried cycling? Have you tried swimming? Yeah, there's plenty of other activities. So I guess it, it does depend greatly in terms of what what your overarching goals are, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And so, for example, what would be an exercise that comes to mind? when Bulgarian you think of, split squats. I, that's the first <laughs> one that comes to mind for me, too. Of you and I, plus everyone else, like lunges are freaking tough, man. They're really tough. But what I found is that a lot of people's biomechanics, they can do lunges just fine. Yeah. A lot of people are very capable of adjusting their foot stance and doing some lunges compared to something like a barbell back squat. I totally understand that there's movements like a barbell back squat where it really does come down to your biomechanics, the length of your torso, obviously the length of your femurs, your ankle mobility. And we've spoken about this before and it, there's no doubt that a lot of people when they do get involved in the gym, they feel like there are these mandatory exercises. Like you have to do squats, you have to do conventional deadlifts if you expect to get results. But unfortunately, the way that they're actually put together, when they try to do those exercises, they are very unenjoyable, not just because they get your heart rate up like hell and they're really tough, but they just do not feel comfortable. They're mm. hard. And also because of the way that you're built, they might actually not necessarily be targeting the target muscle in the most effective way. Yeah. So for example, someone like me who has really long femurs and the way my back's put together and everything, when I try to do a barbell back squat, man, like I do- It's a good morning. <laughs> it's a good morning. I do not feel it in my quads. I feel it in my hamstrings and my adductors and hell yeah, I feel it in my back. And I look like I'm about to break my back. <laughs> so if my ultimate goal is to grow my quads, Sometimes you have to accept that, hey, I'm in a gym with plenty of equipment and there's plenty of other movements that can target my quads a hell of a lot more effectively and provide that stimulus. Something like a leg press, something like a hack squat or a V squat or a Bulgarian split <laughs> squat. So I think it really does come down to that 
There certainly are some movements that aren't going to work the best for your biomechanics, but ultimately, like if you want to achieve the best results, you're going to have to suck it up sometimes and push yourself. And yeah. at that level, like, yeah, you're going to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. And that's the point I was going to make as well. Like, are you not enjoying the exercise because it's hard? Because in order to get results, you're going to have to push yourself regardless of the, of the exercise. And sure, trying going to failure on something like a leg extension is very different to a back squat. But there is always going to be that element of high intensity. So if you don't like something because you have to go to a high intensity on it, then that's something you need to work around mm -hmm. or not work around. You need to solve that issue. Yeah. So how could you work around that? So that's a good question. That's kind of, I feel like that is very much automatically ingrained in some people like mm -hmm. ourselves. We just train hard regardless. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe cognitive behavioral therapy. Like <laughs> we're saying that if you're not willing to do your split squats, you need to go see a psych. <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. I just no, meant more, I was joking. <laughs> more just rearranging your thinking in terms of what am I going to get out of mm -hmm. doing this? Like thinking of the positives that you'll get. And I think I actually got asked this on my Instagram, like uh, intensity conditioning. So the more you do something, the more you work at a high intensity, the easier it'll be, if that makes sense, to, to reach that high level of intensity and just stick to it as well. Who knows, maybe six months of doing it and you'll end up enjoying it and you'll, you'll see the results that you're making, you'll love them and that'll create that positive feedback loop of continuing to do it. And we can't discredit the habits as well. Like mm. being in comp prep is made up of habits and routine. So we don't go to the gym right now because we enjoy it. Uh, there isn't, I mean, I'm not going to say I enjoyed my session today. I enjoy ha having done it and I enjoy the endorphin rush from, from exercising and, and the feeling afterwards, but within it, I'm not getting on that leg press and trying to beat my previous week's performance because it feels good. I'm doing it because that's what I need to do. Yeah. So it certainly depends on what phase you are in, yeah. but we have to remember that guys, we are drawn to the things we will enjoy things that do get us results. And unfortunately, when you are starting off a movement and it feels uncomfortable, it might feel uncomfortable because one, you just have to admit to yourself that maybe you've neglected that exercise for quite a while, or you've actually neglected that muscle group for quite a while. So that's why it's really tough. And sometimes that can be a bit demotivating. So let's say that you were, for, this is me, I'm taking myself in, as an example. In the past, I've put a much larger emphasis on my glutes and my hamstrings because I love things like hip thrusts and RDLs and I got really strong in my glutes and my hamstrings. And it was that positive feedback loop. One, I just like those movements, but I also like those movements because I'm strong in those movements because I do them regularly and that provides me with results and that's what makes them feel good. So it motivates me to do them. But unfortunately, because for years I was under this impression that I always had to do barbell back squats, but they caused me a hell of a lot of pain. I couldn't really progress with them. I just wasn't doing proper form as well. My quads never developed and I've never been overly strong in my quads. And that was really demotivating because I didn't have very impressive quads because quad movements just felt uncomfortable and really tough to me. Then I just ultimately ended up neglecting my quads. And then finally, when I pretty much got my ass handed to me, when I would step on a bodybuilding stage and had like almost zero quad development. And I'm like, okay, I need to do something about this. I had to suck it up and start doing the tough stuff. And ultimately I had to be like, 
okay, do I want pathetic looking quads or do I want to start working towards something and actually grow some muscle in this area? So that's when I pretty much forced myself to fall in love, a love-hate relationship with things like Bulgarian split squats and lunges. I definitely didn't go back to squats because they just do not work for me. But, you know, just start easing your way up. But once you start seeing results, you're like, man, like this exercise is really freaking tough. And I do have to get myself amped up to do it. And hell yeah, my heart rate is through the roof. But look, my quads are changing because of it. This is awesome. And then the more you do it, the more you will enjoy it, the better results you'll get, the stronger you'll get. I remember when we, a year ago, when we entered into lockdown after that comp prep, I started doing like Bulgarian split squats. I probably started off with pathetic weight. I may, may have even been doing body weight. And then once we finally went to the gym a few months later, I worked my way up to holding one 32 kilogram kettlebell. And I would hold my other hand, like use stability on a pole. Now, a whole year later, I've got a 32 kilogram kettlebell in each hand and I can do three by 10 in each hand wow. all the way up from body weight. And that's what, like six kilograms heavier than my own actual body weight right now. Total. That's 64 kilograms for Bulgarians. That's just cause I freaking sucked it up and stuck with it. Cause I'm like, this is uncomfortable, but it's not actually risking injury or like it's painful, but not in the way that it's going to actually hurt me. Mm. I will recover. <laughs> yeah. So I think there are a lot of points to consider there. And for me, the one that just still stands out the most is, is just what your goals are. Mm. And are you someone who is willing to sacrifice a lot to achieve it? Or are you someone who would rather uh, take a more relaxed route mm -hmm. and find an alternative? And there's, there's literally no wrong there. There's mm. ju it just depends on how, how regimented you want to be. Mm. And that's the great thing about the gym as well is that it does provide you with so many different options for exercise varieties. So hell, like let's say you really don't like a leg press. You could use a hack squat. You yeah. could use a V squat. Obviously they've got the leg extension too. There's all of these different variants that you can target that muscle group. But what we're saying is that just because you're weak in a muscle group, don't neglect it completely because that's mm. when you will run into or issues. If you don't, just because you don't like an exercise doesn't mean you shouldn't do it either. Mm. Like again, it just depends. Yeah. <laughs> just freaking get it done, right? Yeah. Don't think, just do. And also you might just be feeling uncomfortable because again, it's been ingrained in you that you have to work within a specific rep range and maybe you either have to lift a really heavy weight for low reps and you find that really uncomfortable or you have to lift a really light weight for ridiculously high reps. Like find your sweet spot. Mm. We know that the hypertrophy rep range is literally anywhere probably between like five to 30 plus reps. Yeah. So if, for example, like Tierra loves doing the higher rep stuff. Not like crazy yeah, high, but more like, like 12 to 20. Yeah. Yeah. It's or sweet. even 10 to 15. Whereas I'm, I would choose like five to 10 any, mm. any day of the week. Yeah. I don't, I don't do any movements for five reps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I love it, especially in prep. Like if it's my ideal rep range in prep mm. is like six to 10. Yeah. So for example, if you're under a leg press and you feel like your eyeballs are going to bulge out of your skull because you're doing like six rep maxes, maybe lower the weight a little bit and move up to like 12 to 15 reps, get a great stimulus in connection with your quads. You're still really working hard and it's always about proximity to failure too. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. That's what really determines your intensity is how far away are you from failure, regardless of the reps, regardless of the weight. Mm. Cool.
oh, guys, hopefully that helped a little bit. But ultimately, do the tough stuff. Yes. <laughs> the, the tough people do the tough stuff. Yeah, I was going to try and say it another way, but yeah, do the tough stuff. <laughs> All right, Jack, I want to know, what is one thing that you learned this week? Cool. So I learned that cooking oats and cream of wheat on the stove is a vibe. I can't. Did you say this last week? No, I didn't say this last week. Oh, oh I complained about how our microwave broke and obviously oh, yeah. I but took... Yeah, but you didn't... Yeah, but basically I... I had some oat conundrums as well in the microwave and I had to use a stove, mm -hmm. basically had to like boil down all the water in my oats and I did it on the stove in a pan, not even a pot, but it actually worked out really well and it was really smooth, really creamy and I haven't made oats on the stove in, in literally years, maybe the last time was in high school, mm -hmm. back when I wasn't an oat connoisseur, but yeah, now, yeah, it worked really well and I'll probably start doing it more regularly and i love how it didn't start out as a vibe because we were a little bit ticked off that our microwave broke and we're like i'm in prep and i need to eat my oats and i need to eat my protein cake what the actual heck but once we discovered that we could cook it in like a deep dish pan and then eat it with a spoon it was kind of nice yeah it's just something different yeah especially when you're hungry like actually spacing food out so for example actually cooking that in like a very shallow pan it looks like you were eating this massive yeah. bowl of oats kind of slowed you down mm. a little bit different yeah but what did you learn this week Okay, I learned this week that sometimes you hear things that sound legit, but they're not actually true. So yeah. we have a dog named Boston, and he's a puppy. He's about 18 weeks old now, and he's still growing into his body, you know? But he's got these big ears, man, and I swear to goodness, every time I see him, one of the ears is flipped <laughs> back. Like, it's literally flipped, and I'm like, Boston, fix your flipping ear. <laughs> Does anyone else, whenever you see a dog with its ear flipped back, like it looks like it would be uncomfortable, mm. but I doubt it's uncomfortable no, for them. So. But I'm just like, can you shake your head or something? Like, why is that thing always flipped? And I went to the beach with my sisters and I told them this while Boston's ear was flipped back. And my sister was like, oh, you know, there's actually a name for that. And I was like, really? There's a name for a dog's flipped ear? And she's like, yeah, it's called Permogul. And I was like, Permogul. And you know when you hear something like that, you're like, oh yeah, that kind of sounds legit because mm. it sounds like there's probably some weird name for a dog's ear being flipped back. You know, those probably... Reminds me of all the phobias. Yeah, something, you know, in Latin or something. And I was like, Permogul. Wow, that's something I learned this week. But then to clarify, I Googled it, couldn't find a flipping thing <laughs> on the word Permogul for dog's flipped ears. I think when a dog's ears flipped back, it's literally just flipped. Mm. Flipped in many senses. <laughs> absolutely flipped, but it's definitely not absolutely permogul. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll grow into those ears and they'll get a bit sturdier. And because like Sam's ears, uh, his sister, like they're a bit more rigid. So mm -hmm. I'm sure he just needs to grow up. Yeah, Boston, fix your permogul. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, guys, thanks so much for tuning in for episode 111. If you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, and we'll catch you next week. See you guys.